You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. The advice and opinions expressed by the hosts of Autism Live and her guests are meant solely as suggestion and should not be in any way construed as child-specific advice. Any choices you make in determining your child's treatment are completely at your own discretion. Dr. Doreen Grandpichet is the doctor. Doreen is an expert in autism. Doreen Grandpichet. Dr. Grandpichet. Dr. Doreen Grandpichet. Dr. Doreen Grandpichet is a visionary in the field of autism. Now you can ask her questions on Ask Dr. Doreen. Good morning and welcome to Ask Dr. Doreen here on the Autism Network. I'm Shannon Penrod and I'm here with the fabulous Dr. Doreen Grampy. Good, Good morning, morning, everyone. I'm very casual today. Because, you look great, though. You're oh casual. Is I've so been much traveling fun. so much and I got home really late last night. And I was like, we're just doing casual. You've been all over the map. Yes. All back and forth. And uh, I don't know if you saw last night, I sent you a picture. There were pictures from, publicity pictures from the Pink Pump Affair. I saw, yeah, I saw that one picture. Thank gorgeous. you. You're oh, gorgeous. We need to gosh. get that picture and show people. Absolutely gorgeous. So, but you have been here, there, and everywhere. Uh, I've been gardening. So, <laughs> oh, God, I'm so jealous. <laughs> uh, don't be. Uh, I ache everywhere. Uh, my body wasn't ready for it. But we're back, and we're thrilled to be back after this three-day weekend with all of you. We're going to be with you live for the next hour, talking with Dr. Grampy Shea. She's going to be answering your questions. People have already been writing in. People wrote in questions before. Our topic today is cognitive testing, because you guys have had so Ooh. many questions about that. And we've got, we've got some starting <clears throat> questions, but we'll take questions of all nature uh, throughout the show. So feel free to write in. We're live right now on Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, and about a dozen other sites. Traven is going to show you some of those sites in just a minute. Remember that while the show is live right now, and we love the live interaction. Yes. Uh, the show will later on podcast, and then everybody has an opportunity to watch it later on. So I, I remind people, no matter how you watch it, you still have a way, a path to write in. In fact, many of our starter questions are questions that people email us or send us via the chat. You know, we, uh, we are all on the Autism Network now, so you can find everything at autismnetwork.com. But we still have, we still retain the old yes. Autism Live website, and there still is a chat there. You can send questions there. But really the best way, if you have a question that you want answered, is to email me if you're not watching the live show. If you're watching the live show, write it in. But um, if, you, if you're watching a recorded show and you want the question, the best way is to email me, shannon at autism-live.com. Uh, so that's how to do that. I do always like to give a disclaimer at the start of the show that uh, Dr. Grampy Shea is a true expert in the field of autism. She's been working in this field for over 40 years. I think we're allowed to say 45 now. I just can't get my head around it. Uh, it's craziness. It's true. Because um, she sure doesn't look like it. But that's a good thing. Um, but we... We cannot ask any expert in any field to give individual specific advice in this format. It just isn't fair to anybody, the individual right. that the question's being asked about or the expert. So we do give you the disclaimer that uh, she cannot give you individual specific advice in this format. But if you'll write in as many details as possible, including where in the world you are. We don't need your street address, but the right. closest large city to you and how far away that is is really useful for both of us to be able to 
sort of key into what resources may be available to you, what laws are exactly. in place, what funding is in place uh, <clears throat> to be able to give you ideas of what to do. But And be as specific as possible about your question because then Dr. Grampiche might have more questions, which then you can take back to the expert who actually has eyes on the situation. So that's my little disclaimer. Yes, there we go. But um, talking about cognitive testing, uh, we do have a starter question. The, the school psychologist has asked to do a cognitive assessment of my child and has already said that my child may lo- no longer qualify for her IEP at school, which mm-hmm. we hear this a lot lately. I feel like she still needs a lot of support with reading comprehension, executive functions, social communication, self-advocacy, and problem solving. I also heard that, that there are seven different areas that need to be tested for a cognitive mm. skills assessment, and if not, they will just do the basic one, which is only five. Would you know which ones are those? Do you know what? I do. I actually was reading this recently, and I... Okay, I know. Now, here's the thing. First of all, I just want to differentiate, because it's not... This is not a cognitive assessment. Like, this is really important that we talk about this. They do call it, you know, cognitive processing. Okay. But in psychological lingo... Schools are not supposed to be doing IQ testing, which is cognitive testing. Okay. And there's lots of different types of testing that different people call it cognitive testing. When we're, and I wanna, I'll go into that in a minute, but schools, what the testing that they do is more has to do with executive functions. This particular type of testing, by the way, cannot qualify or disqualify you from an IEP, and I'll explain that in a minute, but the seven areas, it's so funny that I was just reading about this the other day because it's a very school-type thing, and it's not really in psychology, but the seven areas are comprehension, which is knowledge, essentially, fluid reasoning, that means being able to uh, problem-solve relatively fast, short-term working memory, Uh, processing speed, which is very, very important, auditory processing, long-term retrieval, which is long-term memory, and then visual processing, Mm. okay? And this is very valuable. This is what we actually refer to as neuropsych testing, neuropsych. It has to do with how your brain functions, not necessarily what areas are strong or not, but just your processing, right? Executive functions. That's essentially what you're measuring. It's good to do this testing. It's great. You have, it'll tell you a lot about how your child is, is processing the world. Like, for instance, you know, if a child has problems with reasoning, then you, can, you know that you can work on problem-solving skills. If a child has problems with working memory you know that you need to teach them how to bring new information and merge it with old information, which is what working memories, those types of things. So it helps you understand what you need to do. But your IEP and your status as your child's status as someone who requires an individualized education plan has to do with their diagnosis. And assuming your child's diagnosis is ASD or autistic disorder, then you cannot take a test like this or any portion of a test like this and disqualify someone because essentially in order to lose that qualification, someone would have to remove the diagnosis that your child has, which is very possible. And maybe you have a child who's so high functioning that 
they don't qualify for the diagnosis of autism anymore, but a school psych is really, is, this is not going to do that. Right. It needs to be a diagnostic test, or you need to have a, an experienced psychologist or a psychiatrist who is going to evaluate your child and then say, your child no longer qualifies for this diagnosis. Yeah. So that's how that works. The problem is, is that schools, I don't know who started this, they, they've started with this new thing where they say, your child has a qualifying diagnosis that entitles them to an IEP, but there has to be an educational need in order for us to put the IEP in place. So what they're trying to do is say that kids who have a, a little bit more skills don't have an educational need. And we've had Bonnie before, Bonnie Yates, amazing special education attorney. She's retired now. We've had her on the show before talk about the fact that there are so many parts to FAPE that what it says is that it gives you a floor of opportunity on which to access the curriculum. There's that. But it also says that it has to prepare you for work outside the world. And that includes a three-year-old. Mm -hmm. And that it has to prepare you um, to be able to navigate your world, which lawyers, they've, they've tried this. There are, there's case um, studies that you can look at as a lawyer that where they count social into yeah, that. Yeah. So I don't know, and I, I happen to know that this child is quite young. I think she's in first grade. Mm -hmm. So I don't think that if you if your child has a qualifying diagnosis for autism, if you know what skills to write in and ask for, they cannot disqualify you. They will try to. Yes. They absolutely will try to and try to put your child on a 504 because that is less financial liability for them going into the year because there's no services attached to a 504. It's our job as parents to say no. Yeah. And to come in and say, here are the things that I still want you to work on with my child. They will say, well, we'll have to assess them for that, which is fine because then the IEP stays in a stay put. And if they, if they do assess your child and you don't like what comes back, then you ask for an independent educational evaluation on the IEE and the school has to pay for it. Yeah, and, um, and depending on where you are, I know someone who does those IEEs here in the LA area. Oh, really? Betty does. Betty, oh, Dr. Betty Bastani, okay. she does Fabulous. them. But what I wanted to say is that, uh, yeah, I think what Shannon said is very, very important that if they want to do this assessment, that's great. Just take it. It's a good test to have. But in the meantime, what your child really needs is assessments in those areas that you think are, are still in need of support. So you need to have maybe a language assessment, or I think she goes on and points out some areas. Uh, reading comprehension, executive go. function, social communication, self-advocacy, and problem solving. Okay, so that's a lot. So problem solving and uh, uh, what was the other one? A couple of the ones that you said. Not social reading. communication. Social communication. And reading comprehension, executive functions. Executive functions will definitely show a deficit on the, the testing they're going to do. So if, this is, if these are the areas that they're going to test they are going to come up with some of those areas. They will see areas of, that still need support. For reading comprehension and all those other types of tests, you need to do an achievement test or an academic achievement test so that you can say, my child is still below on these specific areas, which is their job to, to help your child catch up on those. 
There you go. Now, on the flip side, I want to go to this because, uh, you know, this is somebody that the child is doing really well, and so school is saying they don't need anything. On the flip side, somebody wrote in and said, my five-year-old has been diagnosed with autism, but the school is not interested in placing him anywhere but a special day class. I feel like they have decided that he also has an intellectual disability. Mm-hmm. Is that something I can prove he doesn't have? Mm-hmm. I feel like they have already labeled him, and I don't think the label fits him. Right. So, yes, and that is a pretty common uh, misconception that occurs. And also, yeah, I I think it's very, very unfair that that assumption is being made. Uh, There's nothing in the diagnosis of autism that has anything at all to do with intellectual disability. Yes, there are some children who are so profoundly affected by, by autism that they do fall behind and they end up having intellectual disability. But... It's important that you, we don't place ch- all children under that umbrella. So, yes, you can do testing. And if your child is verbal, then you can do a standard IQ test. Like, um, does the parent say how old the child is? Five. So that would be a WISC, which is a Wechsler Intelligence Scale for Children. If they're nonverbal or if they're delayed in understanding and expressing language, then I highly recommend that you get someone to do a nonverbal test of IQ. These are tests that were made for children who are hearing impaired. And this could be the Merrill Palmer is one test, and another one is the Leiter R, L-E-I-T-E-R, dash revised, so Leiter dash R. Um, These tests are good, and they will kind of get at your child's more raw intelligence, and then that's that. Now, Also, I want to say something about IQ testing as a whole. People think that if you have like a period of time in your life where your IQ test is low, that means that forever you have intellectual disability. This is not true. There's a lot of articles published on the fact that IQ is, is malleable. It changes. And it changes with the more you learn. I mean, we did multiple, multiple studies I've published on this where children prior to receiving intensive ABA therapy had, were testing out at relatively borderline or low IQ and post-therapy, post one, two, or three years of receiving really high-quality therapy, their IQ was in the normal range or even above the normal range. So I have a published document on that. So, and we, I think, looked at 30 kids with, with this particular thing, you know, and so IQ moves. So if you should get a diagnosis, if you should get an IQ test and your child is scoring low, <clears throat> don't let that scare you. Don't let that take away your hope because it, it changes. Your child is only five. And so you have a lot of opportunity to teach your child and to help their IQ increase. IQ, after all, you guys, is intelligence quotient. What it is is your mental age divided by your chronological age times 100. That's how we calculate IQ. So for instance, if, my, if I'm functioning like, let's say, a five-year-old, I, then my mental age is five years and my chronological age is also five. And so that's five over five is one times 100, which means 100. And 100 is average IQ. And that's how you calculate it. If your mental age is low, so let's say you're functioning like a two-year-old, and that divided by five times 100, you're always going to be lower than 100. But that doesn't mean that your mental age can't catch up. Because a lot of kids will learn twice as much in a year if they're getting really good therapy. They're aging one year, but their 
their mental age is is going up by two years, and that's how we catch up. Yeah, I didn't know that early on. And the first time that Jem got tested, they they said we can't even put a number. We can't. He doesn't yeah. have enough language for us to like for, for the. Yeah. Uh, and then then I think there were two years where it was not where we hoped it would be, and one where they. I think the third year it was that one number was so much higher than the oh, other yes. number that That's they said verbal it, and and yeah and that they, that it disqualified it because there was no way that there could be that gap and then I think the fourth year that gap was there again yeah and then um, the fifth year both numbers were high and it's it was really like high. what happened yeah <laughs> like, what I thought these numbers were set in stone so no don't don't let anybody tell you anything um, yeah keep them moving keep, keep them learning going, yeah. let them grow to see all that they can be capable of. Exactly. Uh, okay. Uh, I have to start saying hello to some people. We're saying hello to R. We're saying hello to Melody. I want to hear how things went in Gibraltar because I know last week was a big week for you. Uh, Liliana, we're saying hello to you as well. Angela, uh, it's Mrs. R. And NH Pop, we're saying hi to you. Altair, Damon, Sarah, um, so many people. Okay, let's get to some of these questions. So oh. we're starting with R, and it's kind of a lengthy one, so stick with me here for a second. Okay. Uh, first of all, they're saying thank you that they've been watching the show for 12 years. I love that. So glad that you've been with us since almost the beginning. Um, I do have a question. Our daughter is so routine regimented that when she gets up in the morning, she wants to go to grandma. Grandpa and Grandma's house right away. Within an hour or two upon waking, she's nonverbal, but leads us to the door, um, letting us know that she wants to go to their house, and we tell her we understand, but we cannot go right now, maybe in an hour, maybe later. Uh, This causes her uh, to get extremely frustrated, like she feels that we don't know what it is that she's trying to communicate to us, and she will throw a tantrum and cry and cry until we decide to leave. How do I break this habit? It's the same when I tell her to wait for her food and wait before we take her for a ride on her bike. She is currently in 40 hours of ABA and she is five. First of all, congratulations because that is that is amazing and that's a rarity nowadays. So you're doing something right that you've got that. Uh, we have a three-month-old and once our oldest starts crying, it cascades into them both crying and uh, yeah. rattling our head, LOL. Funny, but not funny though. Yeah. Should I just sit it out until she's calm so it doesn't reinforce her crying before the behavior? And I think that's where we're at. Yeah. So first of all, if you have... Yes, congratulations for having 40 hours. I love that because, as Shannon said, it's getting more and more unusual for people to have 40-hour programs, yeah. but you're in a good place. I don't know who's providing it to you, but God bless them because yes. fewer and fewer behaviorists are actually even doing that anymore, but good that you are. They should be able to help you with this. This is a procedure. You have to actually put this on extinction. Yes, you need to ignore her when she's doing that. However, it's going to get worse before it gets better. This is called an extinction burst. And it could cause some... It'll be hard for you. Let's put it that way. It'll be very hard, especially if it's disturbing the rest of the family. So you kind of need some support. And if you're doing 40 hours, they should really try to have some sessions with you there when these types of things happen. I find personally, so yes, the, the basic thing is they, you will try, the, the concept is not just to ignore the behavior. The concept for me is really important that when our kids are trying to communicate something, we give them a different way to communicate it. Not just ignore the tantruming, but actually give them a different way to communicate it 
And if it's a more healthy way, then we try to give them what they want. So for instance, I think you said, aside from the going to grandma and grandpa, it was also riding the, riding the bike, riding the bike, uh, waiting for her food, that kind of stuff. So there are some scenarios where if she asks properly, and I don't know if she's verbal, but if she asks verbally or if she asks with, let's say, a nonverbal mode of communication, like an icon, like she can give you a picture or she can type, whatever, there has to be some form of communication, right? If she can do that, and you are in a time frame of the day where you can actually provide that to her, then that's one scenario. So that like instead of tantruming, if let's say it is possible and she says, I want to see grandma or grandpa, or she gives a picture of them, then and you have the time and you have the capability, you actually take her to grandma and grandpa because now you want to reward her for having communicated this properly instead of tantruming, okay? Now, there will also be times when it's not possible that for you to reward the communication. So in, what's really important here, and as you can see, it's affecting a lot of different scenarios for her, it, and this happens with a lot of kids, by the way, is that they don't understand the concept of time. They don't understand what later means. For, no, for typically developing kids, a lot of times we'll say, They'll say like, oh, can we do this? And you'll say, later, honey, we'll do it yeah. later. And it seems to calm them because they have a concept that later means not now, but sometime in the future, right? With our kids, that concept doesn't ha really exist very well. They don't understand that. So it is important for your ABA team to teach the word later. And there's lots of different things they can do. Like they can literally have a visual which says, we're going to do these things. Later, at the end of those pictures, we're going to go to the mall or we're going to go outside or we're going to go see grandma, grandpa, so that your child starts to understand there are multiple things that have to happen until later happens, right? Later is sometime in the future. That will help your child. What I've learned really, really helps is a timer. When there is a, or a lot of kids, like I remember having children, Shannon, who were unbelievable and had taught themselves how to read a clock, like they had just figured it out. Yeah. But like if there's a way that you can either have a timer or anything that indicates to your child, like let's say when this timer goes off, you can have your food. Those are like the short term things. When the timer goes off, you can watch TV. Like, uh, you know, when when this hits zero, we're going to go to grandma and grandpa's. Now, it depends on your child's functioning and what they can comprehend, but that is something that will give your child an idea of time. And that makes a huge difference because your child's not tantruming because they need to have this right away. Most of our kids have patience, but they're tantruming because they don't understand that they're going to get it later in the day or tomorrow or something. Yeah. They just think what you're saying is I will never get this ever again. And these are important reinforcers for your child yeah. that your child wants. I love that in it, in the description, mom says, you know, she thinks that we don't understand what she was communicating. Yeah. yeah. I think that's so insightful. So for example, if she starts tantruming and she wants mom, uh, grandpa and grandma, and if you have this is, I really recommend for everyone, like a visual chart of, for our kids. 
where you have the child's activities on a sticker board, right, with Velcro or something. So you have, like, we're going to have breakfast. That's a picture of her having breakfast. Then we're going to, I don't know, go to school or whatever it is that you do. Like, we're going to do two hours of this. And then we're going to go see, do this. And then we're going to have a picture of grandma and grandpa at the end of the day. She will get an idea gradually because your ABA team will also use this. So they'll understand, she'll understand that there's, these things have to happen. Then I will get my reward at the end of the day. Yeah. Yes. So important. And then write and let us know how that works out. Uh, I want to acknowledge Angela has written in and says, good evening from Uganda, East Africa. Nice. Thank you so much for this interaction. My 13-year-old son is on the spectrum. However, he cannot read and write, uh, but they are fluent and have good sentence structure, but cannot spell and read. So, uh, Angela, maybe you can write a little bit more and explain to us, has there been an attempt to teach him to read and write? Um, that's question number one. Question number two is, has anyone checked his vision? Is he able to actually see uh, letters and things like that? And Or does he have a motor disability? Like, tell me a little bit more about what has been attempted up to this age and what his capabilities are to learn to read and write. There we go. I just want to acknowledge R wrote back and said thank you, but they said their dad, not mom. And that's oh, mom, my bad dad. for assuming uh, so horribly wrong and sexist of me. We have, In fact, we have a lot of dads on yes. with us today. I apologize profusely. Uh, and I, I love the dads that we have that are so pro- proactive. Yes, so honestly. Thank you so much. Uh, it's Mrs. R. I'm going to assume that's a, that's a mom. Says, thanks, good information. My son just got his IEP reevaluation and the school did the cognitive testing for him. He's in first grade with ASD. So thanks. Great. Uh, I'm, I'm hoping that you like the outcome of all that. NH Pop says, my five and a half year old ASD son is in kindergarten on grade level or above in reading, but he often loses focus in school or with me, his therapist. We've tried ADHD meds with no success from, um, from talking to him and observing. It seems he often gets lost in thoughts about his special interests. Okay currently insects and sea animals and can't switch attention back. What can we do to help him focus without discouraging his interests? That's awesome that you have discovered that. I love that. That is really, really common with Asperger's kids, like high-functioning ASD. And I think it... Just having worked with many, many, many kids uh, who have Asperger's, um, it's kind of as if they are so interested in their own topic that they just want to share that and and they're so good at that topic that it's a way to socialize but they are so deficient in the ability to see other people's perspectives that theory of mind deficit which is so common in our kids they're so unable to see other people's perspective that they don't realize that they've been going on about their own subject and no one else is interested anymore. So there's a lot of different things that you can do to help improve this. One is, it, it sounds like your child's very high-functioning and kind of like really Asperger's. So one of the things that you should be doing is really teaching them about other people's perspectives. So you can do this by kind of reversing roles here and pick a topic that your child would like absolutely not be interested in at all and sit them down and kind of force them 
to listen to you rambling on about it, right? And once you've done that, just say, so how did you like that? Did you like that? Did you think it was interesting? <laughs> Were you bored? Did you want to stay or did you want to go? Like explain to them that that is how other people feel when he talks about that particular subject. So that's one way of teaching perspective taking. There's actually a lot of different ways of teaching perspective taking. And for, for instance, if you have the individual like throw a party for you, how will they, what will they bring to the party? What would be invited? Would there be like, what kind of things would be there? Usually our kids will just mention things that they're interested in. It's hard for them to see the world from other people's perspectives. Practice that skill all the time with your child. Everywhere you go, you see someone sad, ask your child, how do you, why do you think they're sad? What could have happened? What would be something helpful? How can you go and help that person? If you say, if someone says something like, I don't know, with satire or irony, ask your child, what do you think they really meant? Teach your child to start mind reading. I know that it sounds weird, but we mind read other people all the time. We do it based on their facial expressions, based on like the tone of their voice. If someone says something, you know, jokingly as opposed to seriously, the area you need to focus on is perspective taking. And, you know, we had in our curriculum that we had written years ago, skills, and I believe you can still access this, I think, online. It's called Skills for Autism. There's a lot of different ways to teach perspective taking. In fact, I'll go even further and say, I guarantee if you even Google the concept, how do I teach my child uh, perspective taking, oh, yeah. or it's called theory of mind when you refer to it in the autism world, you'll get a bunch of ideas already on, yeah. on Google. There'll be so many different things. That's what your child needs because they need to understand that there's another lesson we had which was kind of like, you know, you, you can teach your child this too. Identify the audience, like figure out, is this a peer? How long can I talk to this peer? What does it mean if this person starts walking away? How do, do I change the conversation? How do I repair the conversation? How do I keep their attention? These are things that you need to practice with your child. And believe me, they will get better. Now, she said something else. Oh, he gets lost in his thoughts about this. Okay, so there's another uh, whole area which is called set shifting, which you can also practice. And that's set shifting actually has to do exactly with what you said, which is switching your attention from one thing to another, right? And there's lots of different ways to practice this, but the initial test, which also helps our kids learn this, is you take a big piece of paper and you write on there scattered around numbers, right? I assume your child, because they're very high function, I assume they're, they're able to identify letters and numbers, right? So you put in like one, two, three, four, just scattered numbers up to 10 or so, and then alphabet, like A, B, C, D, scattered also. Now you give your child a piece of pencil, a pencil and say, go from one to A to B, three, C, like that. Because what you're teaching them is to shift between two sets of cognitive things, right? So numbers and letters. And that's just one example. There are other ways that you can do this as well. There's another test where 
words are written, if he can read words, words are written in different colors. And so when, and the, the names of colors are written in different colors. So the first line, for instance, you would write blue in blue, yellow in yellow, green in green, etc. And you'd have your child read and that's not a problem. But when you have the letters, the, the words like blue written in red, green written in orange, uh, yellow written in blue, and you tell your child, okay, tell me the colors or read the words, now what you're doing is you're forcing your child to separate these two cognitive sets. And these are types of exercises that will help your child stop doing something and shift to something else. And listen, think about the number of times in life that you can practice this as well, right? When he's in the middle of something, interrupt him and actually say, when I call your name, I need you to just stop, put that down, come and do something else. And it might be very hard for him initially, but if you do something else for a very brief period of time and let him go back, he'll start to acclimate to that. So these are all just things that you have to practice. And it's kind of like brain activity and games that will help your child a lot. They actually have apps that are there you go. supposed to be for us for us at, at, at any age for yep. to brain activity to keep your brain young. Perfect. But it's exactly those games. Perfect. Exactly what you're talking about where they'll have letters and numbers or they have words written in colors. Um, they're free on your phone. Take a look. I, you know what's fun for me is that you sit and you talk about these things and it's like my brain will flash on being in the car with Jem and working on that. Yeah. And I, and I, like I get to totally remember those things. Yeah. And go, Oh, right. I remember. Yeah. I remember that there was a phase that we did where, um, because he only wanted to talk about his thing. And, and so we had this rule that, I, you know, we would have to see how many times we could volley back and forth because you're in the car a lot yeah, yeah. and you have to use that time. So he would say something and then I would have to ask him a question about that. Right. And then I would get to say something and he would have to ask me a question about that. We did that. But then there was a thing where he would say, I, I, I really want to talk to you about this. And I would say, okay, you get to tell me three or five, depending on what it was. You can tell me five things about that and then I get to tell you five things about what I want exactly, to talk about. Exactly. And we would trade back and forth and you have to ask questions exactly. about Exactly. I was going to say and that's a whole skill in yes. itself is learning to listen and actually like ask yes. questions and learning that receptiveness. I mean it's not just our kids. There's so many people who don't really listen they listen in order to respond you know what i mean they just like hear they don't really hear what you're saying yes and that's very important skill to teach our kids and it's all it's all about seeing things from the other person's perspective that's all it's about Amazing, amazing stuff. I want to acknowledge Damon has written in to us, and Damon's been commenting a lot on YouTube. I've been seeing your comments on YouTube, Damon. He says, my worry with diagnostic testing is that as a non-speaking autistic person, it was not noticed just how my movement difficulties were preventing me from demonstrating my cognitive abilities. Yes. So I have difficulty with initiating and planning motor movements. Accuracy and pointing was so difficult. I was thought to be very low, but eventually once I learned to type independently, I was able to demonstrate high a- academic understanding. This is that there is this meme throughout the autism community that says presume intelligence. Yes. Because just because someone can't tell you something doesn't mean that they don't have something to say. Absolutely right. And Damon, thank you so much for writing in. This is so important. I always say, Shannon, that I 
you know, yes, I've been working in this field for literally 45 years and I still am learning every single day, yes. right? The other day I had the privilege of, and I have to say, I've, I've had this experience with a few of my kids before where I, I had, for instance, uh, and I've said this before, I had a nonverbal teenage child who I knew for a long time who um, whose mom had discovered uh, spelling. They yes. call it spelling now, right? But it, in that time, we, we, it was called letterboarding, yeah. which is this process where you actually put your finger through letterboards that look like stencils of alphabet, and, they, and you spell what you're trying to communicate. And it was pretty unbelievable. Let's put it that way. It was, just, it was shockingly unbelievable. Recently, I spoke to some folks who are very involved with the, what's the actual name? I think it's C4 for, to spell or something. It's this, yeah. and, and there's actually a good documentary out called Spellers, I think, yeah. right? Yeah. And they explained to me, mom explained to me that this, you know, a lot of what was going on with her child was this motor disability, mm -hmm. motor difficulty because what I was explaining to them was that I very much want to support their movement and I like I, I, I want to make a point about the how important it is for us to find how every child is able to communicate and sometimes with children who are nonverbal it is something else that's holding them back and but I was trying to also explain that when a when a parent holds the letter board, there will always be some skepticism about whether or not the letter board is being moved and whether the spelling is actually occurring by the child. And mom explained to me that part of the issue here is that there's a, it's almost like, I don't want to say catatonia, but it's similar in the sense that you, there, it's very hard for the individual to initiate motor movement, the initiation of motor movement. And that I could totally see because yeah. like we do also have individuals on the spectrum who have catatonia. They cannot initiate movement even though they're fully capable of it. Um, and so thank you for writing that, Damon, because I do think that it's very important always to not think that our children don't have intelligence. It is often that they can't express their intelligence in one way or another. And that's a very, very important point. Okay, and uh, we got a lot of things, and he's written in more, and we'll get to that in just a second. But I want to say that the previous topic that we were talking about, Sarah says, I do try all those things, but my son refuses to practice those perspective-taking things. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, look, there's... As a former teacher, I know you've got things that you want to say. Uh, I, I'll let you say, and then I'll say afterwards. No, it's always it's just a really simple answer, which yeah. is we are all willing to do things that we don't want to do as long as there's a reinforcer that's powerful enough. It's that so thing. It has to be fair. It has to be fair, and you have to find something that is meaningful enough to your child that they're willing to try it for that. Yeah. And perhaps they're exposed to that reinforcer all day long, which means they're not necessarily motivated to work for it. So make sure that they're not satiated, you know. Some kids, for instance, love TV, but they won't work for it because they have access to it all the time. So make sure your child is, doesn't have access to all of their favorite reinforcers, but 
when they're willing to try these exercises, you give them access. Yeah, and if you let them know that they're working on something, they're not going to want to do that. Yeah. C.J. Miyake is the person who would always blow my doors off because he was this amazing, amazing uh, behavior technician that we had on our team for a too brief of a time. But the shoe tying was a big deal in our house. That was just a really, and I couldn't work on it with my son because it was too much baggage. Yeah. And I'd done too much of it that wasn't fun. And I would, and CJ came and he's like, you know, can I work on something with him because I'm doing a shoe tying protocol? And I was like, oh, please. <laughs> I said, he's not going to want to. He's over it. He's not going to want to do that. And CJ was like, well, can I just come? And CJ made it so much fun that I wished I'd videotaped it because they yeah. were doing these like races through the house. It was like they would have to do this obstacle course. And, and the last thing was how fast could you tie the shoe? Yeah. And then you had to take the shoe and, and throw it through the hoop. And, the, and then whoever got, got to be the person who got to pick which cart they wanted in Mario Kart, stop. Just yeah. stop. He yeah. made it so much fun. My son did not know that he was working on shoe tie. Yeah. There you go. And it was brilliant. Yeah. Brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. Um, but I, I will say that one of the things that I always tell on myself, CJ got him working on it, and, and, he, and he went through the whole thing, and he said, now I'm going to come back in a week. Can you guys have practiced it 100 times? Is that something you feel like you could do, Mom? And I was like, absolutely. <laughs> Who are you talking to? <laughs> of course I can do that. And he said, okay, great. Really? You're, you're good? I, CJ, I've got it. And he walked out the front door. I don't think he was five feet down the sidewalk. And I said to Jem, hey, let's do it again right now. And he was like, I don't really want to do it with you. I don't want to do it with you. And I was like, no, 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 let's do it right now. And we started to do it. And I prompted him wrong. And he did something wrong. And he goes, I'm, I'm I, and that's how many times we tried it was once. So when CJ came back a week later, I was like, can I be honest? I don't know how to teach it the way you do. Yeah. You have to teach me how to do it your way. And, um, and yeah. he was like, oh, that's so funny. Like, yeah. he, you told yeah. me you had. Yeah. I know. I know, but I it's tried. hard for the I parent. Tried. Oh, Sometimes it's, so, it's so much easier for somebody else to do it's it or so start hard. it with your kid. But honestly, you guys, it's actually kind of a good thing that it's hard for parents. And I'll tell you, because if you think about why it's hard for you, it's because sometimes it's because your child doesn't want to fail in front of you. Mm. And that is actually a good thing in the sense that they're aware, they want to make you proud. And they think that if I fail, it's a big deal. And they're, so they're like super embarrassed. And if you didn't have that, trust me, that would, it would be worse if they didn't want to make you proud. That's so funny because we don't want to try it. I said to CJ, I didn't want to do it 100 times because I failed the first time. You so why the same I way. don't want it. Yeah. Feel the same way. There we go. Uh, Melody says, hi, ladies. My son managed to see the child psychologist last Wednesday. Went well. But Good. now, hopefully ASAP, will assess and evaluate uh, for a proper diagnosis in autism. It is ridiculous, as we've been waiting for months on end. In Gibraltar, no professionals for assessment. They tend to send us abroad. Also, we got the genetic testing back. Oh. Um, in his brain, a connection is not properly wired. For me, too complicated to understand the medical jargon. Uh, still not attending school, still at home. School finishes on July uh, 2023, restart school year September 2023. So now we need to wait for another professional to come to Gibraltar from abroad for him to be assessed. Gibraltar is small, but believe me, many children with disabilities the children are the ones suffering. I'm sending I'm so you a I'm so sorry, hug. honestly. Yeah, yeah, it's so tough. It's so tough. But I, I do want to say, though, that the <sighs> diagnosis, while an important part of it, is not the whole thing. And I, and I feel like from the things that you've written in, you're trying to move ahead 
with what he's having difficulty with. Mm -hmm. And that's really the key. It is the key. The diagnosis will sometimes help with funding. It will help with acceptance, but it isn't everything, right? Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. Okay. Uh, Damon went on to say, I went from working at a a grade two level at 14 years old to being able to demonstrate age level understanding. I believe mental age can be dangerous for people like me Mm -hmm. because people assumed my mental age was very low when in my mind, my thoughts were far more sophisticated than I could demonstrate. We've seen this time and time again, Oh, absolutely. You still, Damon, it's still mental age. It's just that we have limited ways of helping individuals, for example, who have motor disabilities, to express their mental age. I mean, you know, years and years I've been saying it is not fair when we give IQ tests that are verbal in nature Mm -hmm. to kids on the spectrum because their language is delayed and their language disability kind of impacts how they score on these tests. So obviously, I would always say try a nonverbal IQ test. But for someone who also has motor issues, then yes, we don't have a way to measure your actual mental age. And that is not on you. That's just on the field of psychology, not having figured out that this exists and that we have to do better. There we go. Uh, Sarah wants to know, can we meet CJ? I've actually had CJ on the show before. Um, so you can search up. Uh, I wonder CJ. where he is. I wonder if we can find him. And yeah, is he? I don't know if he's still at Card. We should find out. I don't know, but we'll ask him. But he has been on the show before. Usually, uh, he was interest, uh, introducing apps and things like that. Mm-hmm. He was very uh, involved with that, yeah. especially during the the pandemic. He was very involved with helping me put together resources online resources yes, for yes, kids. The so we did shows on that. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, Search his name. It's M-I-Y-A-K-E, and you should be able to find some of the shows. And I'll see if I can't locate some, too. Taryn has written in, oh, Taryn, is it possible for severity levels to change with intensive ABA? A psychologist (sighs) recently told me it wouldn't change. I want their address. (laughs) Yeah, I want to... These are the things that just absolutely drive me crazy, Taryn. Yes. Of course, it is... And let's talk about this, the, the levels so people know what we're talking about here. So when you diagnose autism, there are two domains. The first domain is social communication, which are all the different areas of, of let's say, that need support in social communication. And the other domain is what we call stereotypic repetitive behaviors, right? And so in you, you're supposed to, and I always say this, but people... It still doesn't happen. You're supposed to receive, when you get the diagnosis, you're supposed to receive two numbers associated with the diagnosis. And that has to do with the level of support your child needs in each of those areas. So, for example, a child might have uh, the diagnosis and then have one, three as their numbers, which means they only need a little bit of support in the area of social communication, so they're not very impacted in that area, but they need severe, significant support in the area of the ritualistic, stereotypical behavior. So that's a 1-3. The reverse of that would be a 3-1, which is a very different child who has social communication deficits, but not a lot of self-stimulatory behaviors. So these numbers are very, very meaningful. Now, as you go through ABA, 
of course, both of those numbers are going to change, right? Hopefully, because your child is learning. And as they learn skills, you go from a three to a two to a one, three, two, one. And ultimately, hopefully, your child doesn't need support in either one of those areas, in which case you don't have a diagnosis anymore. So that is very untrue that it doesn't change. That is the whole concept of therapy. Otherwise, why would we be doing therapy? We're teaching skills. And as the child progresses and learns skills, they are become less and less dependent on support. Okay. Angela has written back in. You asked her about attempts to read. She says there has been an attempt to make him read and write, but you realize he's cramming. He can recognize the letters, for instance. He knows what a word like being unsupervised means, but cannot spell it or write it. He still has a problem with the grip as well. His vocabulary is very high up there, good. Also, when he has to take a decision from three options, confusion sets in, and then tantrum begins. Gosh, Angela, I wish I could see your child. To me, it seems that he's quite capable, but that there are behavioral things standing in the way. Perhaps he's not been successful, so he doesn't want to try it anymore. Perhaps there have not been the appropriate ways of teaching. Why don't you try and have him like have words and see if he can match the letter, just letters, like put a pile of letters in front of him and a word, right? And then have him be able to take the letter and match it so that he is like spelling the same word. Let's see if he can do that. If he can, like, so let's say you have, you know, I don't know his uh, capabilities, but let's say you have something like cat, very basic, or maybe you need something a little bit more advanced. But whatever the word is, you have, let's say, five or six letters, and he's able to put C-A-T. If he can do that with a number of different words, you could then gradually begin to actually get, you know, start having the word, and instead of matching the letters now, he's keyboarding them, C-A-T, right? And then from there, you gradually start to teach him typing, which is spelling. But right now, let's just see if he can match those those letters yeah. to words. I, I just, I don't know. When I read these things, I feel like there should have been some other attempt. Also, by the way, I want to back off and say that's my initial instinct, but it could also be that he has dyslexia, and you should be looking into that because I do have children who find it extremely different, uh, difficult to, to actually read and write just because of their dyslexia because... Yes. The letters in their perception are misplaced and they're backwards or they they can't see them in the correct order. So you should try to get him tested for dyslexia. That is vital, vital. We're seeing a lot of kids being diagnosed with dysgraphia. Dysgraphia as well, so the ability not the inability to write, but I mean this is a child who's also yes. can't even read. Yeah. 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 Um, when I think of you know, it was interesting because I, uh, I, there was a day when I was considered fluent in Spanish. I'm not now. <laughs> but there was a day when I was. And, and it's sort of interesting to me that my son had to learn English in much the way that I had to learn Spanish. He didn't, he didn't learn Second it. Second language. I always yeah. say that. And, and so it was so fascinating watching him as language began because um, he would often put a sentence in the wrong order. Yeah. 
and but he's a very visual kid, right? So when I look back at how he learned to read, I really love the Leapfrog products. Mm -hmm. um, they make those refrigerator magnets that I love. Refrigerator magnets, first of all, but that may they make the ones that. It has a little holder that you can stick on the refrigerator and you take the letter and you put it into the holder and it says what the word is, yes. but it says what the sound is that it makes it, right? And I especially love, they, they do so much research um, and, and they have a video that's called The Letter Factory where they take each one of the letters and the letter is personified, right? So it's a little walking yeah. A and, and it, has, it has its capital A that walks with it. Yes. But then they, have, they give the sound, but then they make a physical motion with it because LeapFrog did all this research and said kids will remember it more if there is an actual physical thing. Yeah. So the, the, the K kicks uh-huh um yes, and, yes right yes, so it's all yes, of this kind of stuff yes so that like that that's so how you learned the alphabet but eventually we got to the point we had the letters on the, the the refrigerator and we would make the word um but then we got they have those um magnetic words to make poetry yeah yeah where it's just a bunch of words and then there's a magnetic board and people have them in colleges yeah where they'll just leave a sentence yeah and so we would get that and that's how my son learned how to put which word where because Where? he had it backwards. Yeah. So there's no end to what you can do to there's play. There's so many resources yes. now. Uh, Absolutely. And make it fun. Uh, okay. Uh where was I? I was someplace here just a second ago. Oh, okay. So CJ um Yes, CJ Miyaki. Uh, same here. My son's uh, Pauline says my son's developmental pediatrician wanted to keep his ABA under twenty hours. Yeah. yeah. Um, I don't you know, and the question is why? <laughs> what? Yeah, and what study are they referring to that shows that that's effective for who yeah. when? Because it doesn't exist. Angela says, wow, wow, wow. Thank you so much. Going to share this with parents and guardians here in East Africa. We have an issue with specialists in these areas. Uh, uh, she says, GPs are guessing most of the time and not giving proper diagnosis. These engagements have helped me get to where we are now. Thank you once again. Yeah, and Angela, you know, not that, I mean, we hope to be able to give you some guidance here, but a, a very, very dear friend of ours is in South Africa, uh, Ilana Gershlowitz, mm -hmm. and I really recommend you try to reach out to her. She's a parent. She's written a book. Autism Saving My Sons, fantastic book. She runs star academies in South Africa. She has provided training to lots of other programs throughout Africa. In Ghana, I know in Zimbabwe, they do a lot of outreach. And she's just a parent who cares and will try to help you, will give you guidance. She's been through it twice with her two boys, and she knows a lot of, of where the resources are. There you go. I want to get to this question from the Philippines that came in from Anne. Uh, Anne, who sent us a video, which I've forwarded to you, but, you know, good luck, get tissues. Uh, <laughs> she says, we've been on this journey for seven months now, and I'm still in that bedroom floor state that I'm always talking about, crying and begging God to help my son. Mm. And so I came up with a decision that I should start training myself to be able to help my son since the therapy centers here in the Philippines are not okay, or if okay, we are in a long waiting list to get therapy scheduled. Oh, Time is yeah. running. I want to act now. My number one challenge is that my son has no eye contact, but I watched the video and it says, it suggests otherwise. Uh, so I'm just going to say that to you. I cannot ask him to sit um, at the table. My, and and I, my son was that way. Yeah, I yeah. used to look at the videos and go, if he could sit at the table, I wouldn't need this therapy, right? So many it, kids are that there. way. So many you kids. You can get there. 
My second challenge is I'm not skilled to assess what my son's areas of, uh, are for improvement. The therapies are not clearly discussing this matter to me. Her first question is, is the 40-hour RBT training for autismpartnershipfoundation.org free? It is, but I don't know if it's free internationally. Mm-hmm. It is free here in the U.S., but, you know, petition them. Um, they're pretty awesome people. I, you know, write and ask. And them. also, just look online because there are lots of trainings. It's not just that one. If you just you look for... And I don't know if you absolutely need to do the registered behavior technician training, but there are a lot of trainings for parents, uh, and I and I think that many of them are free. Um, I do recommend that you train yourself first, and then you can hire people uh, or have volunteers who can come and also get trained to help work work with your child. She says that you have discussed before having a supervisor, yes. somebody who zooms in. She wants to know how much does that cost for the weekly Zoom supervision, and is there a link? There is no... So these are people that I know, and just people that I've worked with over the years, and they will provide supervision for you. And I think... Their rates are somewhere on the average about $100 an hour. But I think it's very um, valuable to have that because you need someone who can give guidance, just like I am here, kind of like of what to do first, what to do next, that sort of thing. And that, I think, is really important to do. Okay, lots of questions coming in. We're not going to have time to get to all of them. Um, But I do want to say they wanted to get the name of the parent in South Africa, please. Sure. Ilana Gersh-Lewitz. And I think you can just look her up. And she is at Star Academy. And she has done uh, shows. Johannesburg. She has done shows for us before. And she was one of the podcast-a-thon hours. Yes, she was. And also, she has her own podcast as well. And... Uh, I'm pretty sure when you when you look her up, her book will come up. But if you need her contact information and you can't find it online, just write to Shannon. She's a very good dear friend yes. of both of ours, and we will forward that info to you. Absolutely. Saying hello to so many people, Joanne, Priyanka, Moeeb, Yaz. Uh, we're so thrilled that you guys are here. Priyanka asked the first question. Hello, everyone. My son is three years old and uh, three years and one month old. Being a physiotherapist, I saw red flags three months before. Now, after rigorous ABA, he's developing good speech. Throw some light, please. Okay. Uh, no sensory is- issues at present. Also, his focus and concentration is improving. His screen time was too much, which is now almost zero. He is almost independent in most activities. I am from India. Kindly reply. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, let us know if you have questions, Priyanka, but, like, congratulations. That sounds like you're doing everything right, and it's extremely exciting. I love seeing that sort of thing. I love yes, it. Yes, love it, love it, love it. Uh, Moeeb says, can you tell me the website which helpful related to the latest articles on behavior issues? Behavior issues, so, like, challenging behaviors. I recommend, and I hope it's still accessible, I'm not sure, but I recommend... Um, Institute for Behavioral Training was an organization that I founded when I was still at CARD. And uh, a lot of really, really talented people wrote training videos and articles and documents about how to handle challenging behaviors. Um, If you can go on Institute for Behavioral Training, I'm trying to remember the the, um, 
URL. I think it was ibehavioraltraining.com. Yes. If you go on there, um, hopefully you can still access that and they will give you, there's a lot of different really good resources there. Now also on skills for autism, one of the things that was there, and I really need time to kind of try to produce something similar, but we had produced something that was a uh, kind of a BIP builder and you had to do a, an assessment first, you had to answer some questions, which is like an indirect functional assessment, which is an awesome thing. You'd answer some questions about these challenging behaviors and then it would help you identify why they were happening and how to treat them. So you can also go there. But that's kind of what you need to do with challenging behaviors. You always have to figure out why they're happening first. Yeah. Uh, Yasmin uh, has written, she's been writing to us quite a bit, both of us, about an IEP that's not going well. And the school district reached out to her today and said that they want to escalate the case to IDR due process. I can tell you from experience, it's good to have legal help with this, but when, when the school is pushing you to go to IDR, it's because they're going to be forced to go into uh, mediation with you and that there's stuff that they want to put in mediation and put a gag order on you. It's almost always that. Don't be afraid of it. Don't uh, be afraid because sometimes they're also bluffing. They, parents yeah. get very scared of going to due process. Go to due process. I, I, the, the, the reason that we have funding is because we, I went so many parents went to due process in California years and years yeah. ago, and they won. Yeah. And that's why now schools are funding it. So yeah. go. But there's a whole process before you get yes. to there where they have to sit down with an independent person, and it's where a lot of stuff gets solved. Most cases don't actually go to due process, but if you have to, you have to. Yeah. But legal help support is a really good thing for you right now but you're doing the right thing. All right, we're so out of time, uh, but I'm sad about that um, because you guys had written in some more questions, um, and I love uh, that R was sending in uh, eye contact suggestions. So uh, thank you guys all for being here with us. We've got a great show for you tomorrow, some really informative stuff. We're going to have an author who's written a book that's a dictionary of all the jargon terms. She doesn't make fun of them like I do, but it's a really helpful book. That's great. For you to be able to go and go, oh, that's what they mean when they're saying that. Uh, and we've, all, we've got great guests for you tomorrow, so really thrilled about that. Then after that, uh, I'm, I'm going to be taking the rest of the week off because I have a son who's turning 20. Ooh. I mean, so stop. exciting. Forget it. Like, who, like how did that happen? <laughs> I, he's not going to be a teenager anymore. But I want to tell you that next Monday, I'm not going to be here next Monday, but the show that we're going to play is one of the shows that we've held back from the podcast-a-thon that we haven't actually aired. I'm a little afraid of it because it was at 3 o'clock in the morning, and it was about my show, The Autism Momologues. Oh, my God. And for the first time, we showed some of the taped segments from it, and it's kind of hilarious. Oh, it's so good. Um, it's so well, good. I, it's, I wish not, it was running throughout the country because I loved that well, show so much. Well, we still want a videotape the whole thing and get it right but anyway if you miss that and you want to watch it we're actually on my son's 20th birthday which is actually monday we're going to be airing that that's so amazing. it's it's my uh, like i'm putting my ego aside and letting you guys see that because it's hopefully, awesome hopefully it will give you a laugh that's fabulous um, i look and, forward and make to you it. go oh okay her her head really is a clown car <laughs> and it is um so anyway i want to thank you for being thank here. you You're so amazing. much amazing always thank a pleasure you for being here we'll see you tomorrow until then give your kiddos a hug for me and one for you too bye-bye for now bye everyone
don't forget, you can watch Ask Dr. Doreen live every Tuesday morning at 10 a.m. Pacific time. We hope to see you there.